Today, we are joined by Eliza Gobin, current master's OBM student at Florida Institute of Technology. Thank you for joining us today, Eliza. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. So today, we kind of wanted to ask you about your journey into the fields of behavior analysis and, and OBM. So can you just tell us how, how you entered about this field? Yeah, so my sister uh, is a BCBA, and when I was starting my bachelor's degree, she was about she was just starting her master's degree, and I was in a major that I didn't really like. I was in speech, and I knew I wanted to still work with people, and she told me I would be really good at behavior analysis, so I started taking classes with some of the behavior analysts at my school and ended up loving it. So I switched my major to psychology behavior analysis. And now here I am. And what sort of work are you doing right now? I do primarily OBM work. So I mostly focus on systems analysis for large and small ABA service providers. And what that's mostly looking like for me, mostly looking like for me is onboarding systems uh, and uh, overall company employee management systems. So I've done some lottery work. Uh, I've done a lot of employee onboarding and employee scheduling. Right now I'm working on a referral and intake process for a company. And then employee training is something I have started to do as well. So for employee training, I'm really looking at training for existing RBTs and then training for uh, people who are looking to become RBTs and how we can more effectively train them to uh, be better at their jobs um, right away or to understand the field a little bit better and to be a little bit more effective. And then as far as outside of work, I'm doing some research with dance skill acquisition. And then I'm also doing some research in systems. So my thesis was in dance skill acquisition and evaluating how we can better train uh, dance skills in new learners. And I've also uh, helped out with some other research areas with systems redesign in lab studies. That's very cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, I always love hearing about different research interests, especially outside of, you know, the typical realm of clinical ones, or even like within businesses, you know, you hear about a lot of organizational research. Um, so it's really cool to hear about, you know, different research and things like sports and whatnot. Yeah. So in terms of like your, your work and like the projects that you get to do, um, what are your like primary interests with with those and you know how do your values kind of fit into the work that you do in behavior analysis so my my primary interests are looking at system systems redesign and auditory feedback so if i'm working if i'm actually working in the field rather than doing research i'm i'm more interested in systems redesign especially with looking at automation of those systems and other technology integrations. And then outside of the field, I'm really in research very specifically, I'm really interested in looking at, they're not outside of the field, out, uh, outside of the practitioner 
uh, area in research, I'm more looking at uh, auditory feedback and how we can evaluate different types of feedback in training, how we can evaluate and shape uh, different behaviors in individuals more effectively. And I like one of my biggest values is knowledge and education. And those those values have really pushed me into this field because as with most behavior analysts, we just want to know why people or animals are doing what they do and how we can help them learn to do new things better or faster and get them into get them to contact new resources. And that's not that's not only the goal of clinical work, but it's really the goal of OBM as well, in my opinion. And just being able to study behavior analysis and study the laws of behaviorism has helped me to not only find something within it very specifically that I love, but to also find something that's that's that has a great impact to the knowledge of the field and to the knowledge of fields outside of it. So in working with non-behavior analysts in in these clinics that I have worked with, how they see OBM now. Yeah, very cool. So for you, you said that your primary work is in OBM, you know, within the field of behavior analysis. So for people who maybe aren't as familiar with OBM and kind of how that fits, um, this is an ongoing discussion that several of us have had is, you know, how is OBM different necessarily in practice with the traditional application of behavior analysis? The most com I wouldn't say it's the most traditional, but the most common application of behavior analysis that we're seeing is to provide services with individuals with developmental disabilities to contact more reinforcers and be able to live more independent lives. And I would say that OBM is doing the same thing, but with a very different subset of the population. While individuals who do very strictly ABA, applied behavior analysis practice, are working with individuals who have developmental disabilities or other disabilities or working on social skills, even with people who do not have a clinical diagnosis. We are working in OBM, we're more working organizationally and with within companies with different goals. So our goals are more often results oriented. And I think that's, I think that's what very much separates OBM from ABA. And what I mean by that is when you're going into not just an, uh, a major organization, but when you're going into a group of people, you want to tell them what this could look like in the future for them to accept it. And you can do that with any anybody that you're applying behavior analysis to, but it's especially effective when you're working in OBM. And in my opinion, that's the greatest divide. 
I know the more traditional definition of OBM is it's the application of behavior analysis to organizations and businesses. I think that's too restrictive of a definition. We're not always looking specifically at organizations and businesses. Sometimes we're looking at smaller groups of individuals. For, for example, I looked at dance skill acquisition in a thesis, and I would argue that that was OBM because I was evaluating training techniques for those individuals. And training we see is very traditionally considered to be OBM. Uh, other people might disagree and say that dance training, well, because it's not, doesn't have to do strictly with businesses and organizations, isn't necessarily OBM. And again, I would argue that training is OBM and maybe I worked with a small population, but dance overall is a huge, huge population where we could end up working with dance schools or dance companies and reevaluating how they train their students and performers. I liked how you painted a picture there and you talked a bit about your thesis some and some of your interests and how that aligns with what OBM is. And so I guess I just wanted to ask next, <laughs> what are you doing next? So next I will be continue. So I graduate uh, pretty soon in about a month and I'm actually going to continue my education. So I will be going on for a PhD uh, with a, with another program, hopefully. And there I will be doing a lot of work with training development and systems management within those programs. And I'm really hoping to get more into auditory feedback. I think that's a big area that we could do a lot of research in. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, I'm all for, you know, furthering your education. I know that, you know, knowledge was again, one of your values that you previously mentioned. So I'm glad that you are taking steps to move forward and fulfilling those values. Um, so obviously you as an OBMer uh, do a lot more, more so different work than, you know, other traditional behavior analysts. So in terms of maybe like certifications, are there certain ones outside of maybe the traditional uh, behavior analysis certifications that you plan to obtain at all? Eventually, I would like to obtain a Lean Six Sigma. Uh, I know that can be a certification that's very, very valuable in working with people, especially in working with organizations. It's very recognizable and people like it a lot. And it, it's a really good way to get out there. But other than that, I'm not, there's not a lot of other certifications I'm looking into. Uh, there's some technologies that I would be really interested in learning more on, more with and working on, especially technologies used to create uh, learning management systems and other technologies that are used to automate and integrate uh, companies and how they interact with each other. So looking more beyond the traditional, we'll send an email about it and uh, how can checking a box notify someone else that they need to start their process? 
I love that you mentioned that because I am very much into how do we make a process more efficient. And, you know, a lot of organizations sometimes are like, we just need to train our employees. It's a training issue. Um, and it's like, you know, it's not always a training issue. Um, sometimes it's a systems issue yeah. and, you know, really looking at it from a bigger perspective or like a lot from a wider perspective. Um, and so I, I'm glad that you touched on that. You know, sometimes it's not always just an individual person, but it's like, it could be technology that we're working with to improve certain systems. Absolutely. Sometimes the whole system, if one, if there's one flaw in the system, it can make the whole system just not work anymore. And it's then at that point, it seems like it's, it is just a training error, but it's, it's not, it's, it's that we don't need to send this same email back and forth five times. Uh, it just slows everything down or things get lost because we're over communicating or under communicating this area or this problem. All right. For our next question, <laughs> where do you see the field going and, or where would you like it to go? The field is, I think, headed for a very interesting couple of years, especially as it, we start to listen and understand how other fields are approaching different issues. And as we start to know what it's like to, uh, as we start to get better at working with other areas of expertise, not just OBM and industrial organizational psychology, but also human resource professionals and people who have healthcare administration degrees and help to start and form what our processes look like and how we can change those. And something I think that will be a huge shift in the research in the next few years is within our own flagship journal, uh, Journal of Organizational Behavior Management, we're probably going to see a shift, more shift away from working in non in non-clinical industries for research, more towards human service industries. Because there's a not only is there a big call for that right now as far as research goes, but it's a huge need when you do work in a clinical, in the administrative setting of a, of a clinic, you want to make these changes and you're seeing these changes, especially as someone who works in, who has knowledge and expertise in OBM, but there's no research that shows how to do it. There's research in mines and factories, but that's not always something that can be applied to clinics, especially clinics that don't have a lot of money that they can give to fix problems. And then as far as more specific areas, I think we're going to see a major increase in research revolving, uh, revolving around staff turnover, retention, and hiring practices. Hiring practices are something that are more traditionally governed by IO psychology. But we're having, as someone who works at, in a clinic administration, I know that we're having issues hiring RBTs and hiring BCBAs. But also, we're having a lot of issues getting people to stay on for a multitude of reasons. It's not something that we can always pinpoint. 
while some things, yes, we can say, okay, this is a problem. This is why people are leaving. This is why they've told us that they're leaving. And some things are fixable and some things are not. So I think that's something that we're going to see. We're going to see a lot of researchers tackling in the next couple, in the next decade. This isn't research that can be done in a couple of weeks. Turnover research is research that takes a couple of years to make sure that the process changes work or that whatever systems and performance management techniques we put into place are working. As far as what I'd like to see, I would like to see not only that, I think that is extremely valuable, especially in the current economy with having issues with employee retention, not only in clinical settings, but in every setting, especially with treat employee treatment. But I would love to see OBM research move more into actually researching systems work, because that is probably a bigger part of what OBM consultants do in the field. But I would also really like to see research move away from the frontline workers. We do a lot of research involving low-level management and frontline workers and moving that up into leadership and moving that up into higher level managers and how we can change systems and their and the behavior of those individuals and how that would have an impact on employee satisfaction, employee retention, customer satisfaction, revenue on all kinds of key performance indicators. No, that's definitely a good place to start looking. I think sometimes that's overlooked um, when you're trying to manage a team. You're kind of going to the individual uh, low-level workers, um, but again, you have to do you have to look at it from sort of Eagle's perspective of, of a top down. Um, yeah, because things things trickle down, right? Um, who do we who do we look for? Um, who do we look to? for you know best practices and and how to behave we tend to look at our supervisors our managers um and what they're doing and usually go off of that right there's a lot of modeling involved in those behaviors so i'm glad that you pointed that out absolutely yeah. and support of leadership is really important for getting those changes yes leadership i think that's forgotten a lot when we're doing these changes and we have a professor we had a professor here that talked about institutionalization of these policies and procedures and systems changes that we're making. We can't do that without the support of leadership and without the action of leadership. And it's really important that we start doing some research and how we can get that buy-in and how we can change leadership to better benefit employees long-term. Just out of curiosity, what is meant by institutionalization? Institutionalization is it's when whatever changes you make as a researcher or as a consultant become a part of that company's overall standard operations. For example, if you were to put in a process at, let's say, a gas station, and it's just a simple feedback pr process where cashiers are getting feedback from their managers based on cleaning, because cleaning can be very, very important at gas stations, especially out around the pumps. 
And once you, so you get, you, you lead, you're there, you make sure that the process, that the feedback works, you see a huge increase in cleanliness of the pumps, but you also see a huge decrease in maybe customer related accidents that are due to uh, poor cleaning from the staff or maybe other uh, key performance indicators, KPIs. And then you leave. If you don't set up programs to make sure that that feedback is maintained and supported by not only the manager, but maybe by the manager's manager or by making sure the staff are continuing to seek out that feedback, whatever your intervention was, making sure it maintains long-term. So something that's, I would, I would almost say that institutionalization is a, is it's an issue we have. We're not always, especially with research, we'll come in, we'll change something and then we'll leave. And we don't always know if the system we added is continuing to work or if it's continuing at all. And I think that's something that we should tackle more and looking at making sure that happens. All good points. So for our fellow graduate students um, and other behavior analysis students that might be listening in, what, not what, <laughs> do you have any advice or words of wisdom uh, to share with our fellow students? Yeah, I have a couple things. Um, my first one would be to get a hobby that has nothing to do with it, with school or work. You, it, you're gonna be really stressed. It's a good idea to have something that's not directly involved with that, especially if it's something that really makes you happy. And then as far as like in, in the field, definitely make friends with people who aren't in your class, at your school, in your cohort, in, uh, or in your work. Make friends with those people, but make friends with people beyond that. And you can do that. Through, there are so many opportunities to do that. Not only conferences, but there are different online platforms you can engage with. I know that there are Discord servers and Facebook groups and all kinds of things you can be a part of to be able to interact with these people. Some of my very good friends in the field are not people that I go to school with or people I work with, but someone I have met in a random place. And now we just talk about behavior analysis sometimes. And I get to see perspectives from someone who's across the country and doing something similar or something totally different from what I'm studying or what I'm interested in. And then on top of that, find someone who will let you pursue your passion for this field. Even if you're especially interested in something that has never been done before, or it's very niche, or someone has done research in it, but it's only one person and they might not do research in that area anymore. Find someone who will support you working there. If I, I wanted to do research and dance and I found someone who would let me do research and dance, 
And there's a lot of people who will now let you do and help you with sports research, but there's also a lot of people who are afraid to do that. And that's okay because it's, it's a field that not a lot of people have a huge amount of experience in. If you're really interested in working with something specific in the clinical field, find someone who either has experience in that area or has experience in something very similar. They will help you and they will support you as you, as you continue to research in that area. People want more out of this field. And I think, and I think it's the students that are going to push for more out of this field and push for more dissemination and diversification, not only within research, but within practice. And so it's important to start pushing for that and pushing for what you want. That was really well said. I I love that you mentioned basically, you know, like getting a mentor, someone that's going to support you and, you know, your research interests and what you want to do. Um, because, you know, a lot of us, you know, I think the statistics are most behavior analysts, um, are pretty new to the field. Um, if you look at the BACB stats, the majority of our fields have actually come in, in the last, what, 10 years or so, or even less like it, you know, even five years. So, you know, definitely seeking out mentorship. Um, from more experienced researchers and other practitioners um, is a really good piece of advice. And thank you for sharing that. Well, thank you, Eliza, for chatting with us today and sharing your student perspective. Join us for our next episode where we talk about supervision from the student perspective.